Blatty, your host. Thanks so much for joining us today. One of the bright spots for many people in Northeast Ohio during this dark pandemic was the day that the Cleveland Museum of Art announced that it would welcome visitors back in person. Here to talk to us about what's going on at the museum these days, the exciting things that are happening in 2022, and pardon the pun, bigger picture questions is the museum's director, William Griswold. William, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much, Dan. When we spoke in 2015, we were talking about the return of Hanuman, the Hindu deity, the monkey statue that was so popular at the Cleveland Museum of Art. It was returned to its home of origin, Cambodia. How did that lead to this new exhibit, the uh, revealing Krishna that seems to be so popular? Well, when we returned the Hanuman, um, which was, as you say, I think in, in 2015, um, we signed a memorandum of understanding with the National Museum of Cambodia. And since then, we've enjoyed a really wonderful and fruitful partnership with them. This is actually the second exhibition that we've uh, that we've mounted uh, in connection with uh, that that relationship. Uh, the first one was of a monumental relief from a temple called Bante Chmar. And uh, this one celebrates the recent conservation of our very early 7th century statue of Krishna, um, which was made possible only through the an exchange of fragments of sculpture between Cambodia and Phnom Penh that's taken place over the past few years. And it's been a really wonderful, wonderful project. In addition to actually being able to see these fragments and statue, visitors are also engaging in technology. What are some of the things they'll see when they use that part of the exhibit? So, I mean, we're really proud of what we've done with technology at the CMA. I mean, just looking back a little bit historically, you know, we, we, we've uh, broken new ground with our Art Lens Gallery, which uses hands-free interactives to, in, to uh, engage visitors with the permanent collection. We, we've done the same with our Art Lens app. We've, uh, we've done the same with our online collection uh, which makes every work in the museum available all over the world to anyone who wants to see them. Our our, uh, our open access program, the, some of the programming we've done during the pandemic uh, online. Um, the, the new exhibition called Revealing Krishna, uh, again, breaks altogether new ground with respect to the interpretation of a work of art using technology. And the, the visitor will encounter actually four galleries that offer immersive experiences um, made possible through uh, digital technology. And the first of these is a, is a, a journey, an immersive journey using um, projections and uh, video projections and, and audio uh, to the remote site from which the sculpture originally came, a place called Phnom Da near the border with Vietnam in far southeastern Cambodia. Um, the next uh, gallery uh, in the exhibition includes a number of uh, pieces of early Cambodian sculpture. The next one um, uses HoloLens 2 technology, uh, the visitor actually wears a headset, uh, to uh, uh, um, evoke the history of our Cambodian sculpture and its eventual conservation, and then to holographically reinsert it into the cave temple from which it originally came, which is a remarkable thing. A, a, a new standard, I think, in, um, in the application of technology to uh, a museum exhibition. There are then two galleries that include original pieces of sculpture, another that um, digitally uh, reunites all the sculpture that was found at this at this ancient site, including pieces that are too fragile to travel. And then there's a, a final gallery with a digital timeline that's narrated by um, a, a Cambodian-born Clevelander, Luong Ong, and 
actress Angelina Jolie, who's been very involved in the project for, for a long time. We've had a lot of discussion about the return of, of pieces that are that were taken from other countries. The museum was involved recently with the return of some pieces to Italy, and we talked about Hanuman. How, is, how can the museums ensure that these, these collections are being obtained ethically? So, you know, I mean, I think, first of all, um, we are um, generally uh, addressing some, you know, historical issues. Museums today adhere to a very, very high standard in, in terms of uh, collections. And since 2008, with respect to antiquities, uh, American museums um, have been essentially required to uh, 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 acquire only work that can be demonstrated as having been outside its uh, country of modern discovery since uh, before 1970, which was the date of a uh, of an important UNESCO convention on prohibiting the illicit import and export and transfer of ownership of cultural property. Um, and so uh, I think that the kind of research that we are uh, undertaking now in connection with every, ac every uh, acquisition uh, will, um, will largely um, prevent this kind of issue from arising in the future. Um, but we've always looked at, at, at our collections uh, very, um, uh, for, we've always been very, um, transparent about uh, about our, the provenance of our collections. We've always done a lot of research in connection with our collections, and um, and I, you know it's just imperative that we that we remain um, really you know committed to, um, uh, to to being completely open and and with our visitors and and with potential claimants, and we'll continue to do that and do the right thing. Has this movement, though, these, this kind of return caused museums to think about the nature of ownership, who owns pieces of art in an art museum? Sure. I mean, so, I mean, I think there are, there are all kinds of issues um, that are, are really fascinating and, and worth exploring. I mean, there's the question of, of good title, um, and that's something that is very much a legal question. Uh, but I think that the, that the kinds of questions that we're beginning to ask ourselves now are a little different. Uh, we're, we're now thinking about the legacies of colonialism and what uh, impact that should have on our approach to, um, uh, to the, the um, acquisition of objects for our collection and how we display them and how we interpret them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is, it's a, it's a, uh, there's, it's an, it's a process. It's an evolution. You mentioned that during the time that the museum wasn't able to allow visitors to come in, they, that uh, viewers could look at the, all the pieces of art online. How did that go? Did you have a lot of traffic for a lot of digital traffic during that period? We did. We had enormous, uh, we had enormous traffic, uh, of, for our online collection, um, which is something that, you know, that existed prior to the pandemic, but it was in January of 2019 that we made that collection uh, universally available by means of open access. Um, that uh, exponentially increased the amount of traffic that we had. But we also, in addition to that, um, implemented a host of digital programs. I mean, all kinds of things, conversations with curators, um, curatorial talks of, of all kinds. Uh, other members of staff were involved. Um, we're very, very proud of the, the, the programming that we, uh, that we created in response to the pandemic and which we aggregated on our website under the heading Home is Where the Art Is. Um, this was a very successful uh, initiative. Um, I think that it's something we'll continue to do to a degree in the future. But of course, um, you know, uh, there's nothing like seeing the original work of art. And so I'm, 
I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to welcoming everyone back. I know that the museum is, is obviously being cautious with uh, allowing patrons back in. How's that worked out so far in terms of social distancing and the kinds of things you need to do in order for people to return to the museum? So I, I think we've been pretty successful. I mean, COVID has been rough, obviously, for everyone. It's been rough for the museum. Uh, we closed for the first time in, in March of uh, 2020. We closed again uh, in late fall 2020 and reopened in early 2021. Um, the, um, the Omicron surge uh, has been has been a challenge, of course, for us as well, but uh, we've remained open and I I'm determined that we will remain open, uh, although it's created some some new challenges with respect to labor shortages, for example, because uh, obviously people have been out. Uh, but uh, our emphasis all along has been on on the safety of our visitors and the safety of the general public. And I think one can feel very safe coming to the museum. Uh, we require still face masks for um, all members of staff, uh, whether they're in the galleries or behind the scenes. Um, we uh, have mandated vaccination for our staff and for both um, contractors and volunteers who are working on site. There are plexiglass barriers uh, that separate front, uh, front of house staff from our visitors, um, uh, enhanced cleaning protocols, social distancing, and so forth. So I think one can feel uh, really very safe here. Uh, but um, but certainly, uh, you know, the, this this entire period has been enormously challenging for museums, uh, challenging for, um, you know, for organizations of every kind. The challenges have not only been aesthetic ones, but also financial ones. How's the pandemic affected the museum's financial position? So uh, we're, we've been affected like everyone else. Um, uh, and this is particularly apparent in with respect to, to earned revenue, um, our, our, you know, our uh, operations are made possible through a combination of earned revenue, contributed revenue, and uh, the draw from our endowment. Um, and uh, earned revenue has just been um, you know, eviscerated by uh, by closure and uh, low attendance numbers. In in the 2019 fiscal year, we had 865,000 visitors, and during the fiscal year that that uh, ended this last June 30th, uh, we had only 211,000. So, you know, it makes a big, big difference. And so that affects the revenue that we receive from parking and the store and the cafe and the restaurant, which still has to reopen, um, uh, event revenues. It's, so this has had a huge impact. Um, our earned revenue is down from about $6.5 million in uh, fiscal 2019 to uh, I think uh, approximately $1.2 million last year. And there have been impacts elsewhere as well in, in uh, a portion of contributed revenue. The portion that, that uh, is made up by general membership has also uh, obviously suffered because we've been able to offer less to our members. That's changed now, but, uh, but we had a difficult year during closure and, uh, and during and when we had to cancel quite a few exhibitions uh, as well. Um, what I will say is that um, because the Cleveland Museum of Art offers free general admission, um, uh, earned revenue is a smaller part of the pie than it is for some other institutions. And uh, fortunately, the markets have held up reasonably well. And so our the draw that we take from our endowment has been has been less effective than it might otherwise be. Still, 
this has been a big, big challenge. And we, we would have had a hard time making it through the pandemic as well as we have to date uh, without um, the funds that we've received from, uh, thanks to the CARES Act, uh, we've received a, a Paycheck Protection Program uh, loan uh, and the American Rescue Plan through which we received a shuttered uh, uh, op- uh, venue operators grant. Um, still, you know, we had to reduce the size of our staff. Um, this was essential uh, to um, to making it through. We're now rehiring, and um, I'm very optimistic that um, that we will recover if and as the pandemic abates. Let's hope that happens soon. William, <laughs> yeah. Griswold, <laughs> William, William Griswold is with us today. He is the director of the Cleveland Museum of Art. He joins us for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. If we take COVID out of the equation, which I know these days sounds like a dumb thing to say, but this is not really having to do with COVID. It's more the issue of what has changed about what visitors want from a museum, or would you say, over the last decades? Has it changed all that much? I think it's changed some. Um, and I, I think it's also important to, to stress that different visitors are looking for very different things from the museum. There are people who come to the museum, to art museums in particular, for a contemplative experience. There are people who come for a very social experience. Um, There are those who know museums well and those who are first-time visitors. Um, What I think has shifted a little bit is that people coming to art museums uh, whatever their their primary purpose, uh, are looking for an experience. And we, we offer an experience. Um, there is, of course, our permanent collection, but there are our exhibitions, which illuminate uh, the aspects of the permanent collection and give visitors access to works of art they might not otherwise ever have an opportunity to see. There uh, are all the amenities that we offer. Um, you can come here and you can have, you can have lunch. You can come here and you can have a drink. You can come here and you can shop. You can enjoy the fine arts garden. There are performing arts uh, performances, and and uh, much of this, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, affected by the pandemic. Nevertheless, we're still offering quite a lot, and um, and and we'll return to the kinds of offerings that we had before. Uh, so, yeah, I think you know that that's what's changed. People are looking for a whole range of experiences, and it's incumbent upon us to provide them. Tied to that, what about the museum's role in the community? Obviously, it is a place for people to come, but what about the museum going out into the community? Now, I know it's obviously more difficult given the current situation, but in general, how has that changed? So, um, absolutely. I mean, so we've long had a tremendous commitment to greater Cleveland, um, uh, and we've long gone into the community. Um, And it's true that this has been somewhat affected by the pandemic, but there's still an awful lot that we um, can do and continue to do. So, you know, just generally speaking, um, the, the, the work that we do in, in university circle is very important, but we do, we go way beyond our main campus Um, in, in, pre-COVID times, and this, the, those times, you know, a similar time will, will, will uh, recur, uh, we, we were present in schools, we, um, our studio go van offered art making experiences all over town. But even during the pandemic, we've continued to program uh, exhibitions of work by 
emerging artists, uh, diversity of talents at Transformer Station in Hingetown. We've offered summer stages, um, uh, performances of uh, popular music on the on Cleveland's uh, near west side. Uh, and I'm very, very proud that in June of this past year, we opened a new community arts center in the Clark Fulton neighborhood on the west side of Cleveland, uh, where we're offering uh, drop-in art-making workshops to uh, anyone who uh, wishes to participate. Uh, so th there's a lot that we do and a lot that we uh, will continue to do um, in future years. May marks the eighth anniversary of your uh, tenure at the museum. What's something you're really proud of that's happened during that period? You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm proud of a number of things. Um, certainly of the, uh, of, of the, the work that we've done uh, with respect to cultural property and developing uh, close relationships with uh, countries like Cambodia, but also Italy and others. Um, I'm very proud of the, um, the fact that we've achieved record attendance uh, during that period and that we've made it through COVID as well as we have. Um, uh, I, I'm also very pleased with the, uh, the DEI work, the work that we've done with respect to uh, Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, this is, you know, an important, uh, very important topic uh, in, among museums today. But we were, um, as far as as far as I know, the first art museum in the United States, the first major art museum to publish a diversity, equity, and inclusion plan, which we did in 2018. Let's talk about diversifying the collection. The museum announced that it added two new works by Black artists, Rashid Johnson, Standing Broken Men, and there's three sculptures by Melvin Edwards. What can you tell us about those pieces? So um, this is part of a, a larger initiative, um, uh, and we've really emphasized the acquisition of works by uh, artists who identify as as Black or as people of color uh, over the past several years, um, and and uh, we've we've acquired a lot. In fact, almost every work of art, uh, contemporary work of art that we have acquired during the period since we uh, initiated the plan has been by an artist, by either a female artist or an artist who is black or identifies as a person of color. Um, and the the most recent works are three so-called lynch fragments by uh, by Melvin Edwards and a marvelous mosaic uh, by Rashid Johnson, the, the second of which was a gift from our trustee Agnes Gund. But I think you have to think about this in the context of uh, other works that we've acquired in, in recent years, a wonderful painting by uh, Norman Lewis, for example, or a painting by Al Loving, um, Robert Colescott, a wonderful sculpture by Simone Lee. Um, we've uh, inaugurated a whole new collecting area, which is contemporary African art. Uh, so the diversification of our collection is um, is. Uh, we're making great strides with the diversification of our collections. And if, and if someone wants to uh, go online and, and see what we've done, uh, it's now possible to search our collection in our collection online uh, by uh, uh, a whole range of search filters, including African-American artists, Asian-American artists, um, uh, LGBTQ plus artists, female artists, and so forth. William, in addition to increasing the museum's diversity in terms of the collection. What about the museum itself? I know this program has been important to you in terms of widening the staff diversity. What, what's happened with, with that with that initiative? So the, the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion plan that we uh, approved in 2018 
uh, calls for the diversification of our collection, our programs, our staff, our audiences, uh, and uh, also the field to the extent that we can accomplish that. And we've we've made uh, considerable progress toward toward every one of these goals. Uh, uh, just to cite an example before I turn to staff, to cite an example with respect to exhibitions, the plan says that we will host or organize um, every year at least one exhibition of work by uh, black or indigenous uh, uh, artists or by artists of color. And in fact, not a year has gone by when we haven't had many such exhibitions. And, and this year is, is uh, just one example. Uh, with respect to staff, well, there, there are two pieces of this. I mean, one is organizational culture. And over the past year, despite the pandemic, uh, every member of staff has participated in a five-part uh, diversity training um, that's been uh, very, very well received by, by people. Um, and we have a, a staff DEI advisory committee that is um, implementing in conjunction with our human resources department a whole new kind of onboarding and mentoring program uh, to make people feel welcome. But uh, but you know, to, to, the, to the question of staffing very specifically, um, we have since 2018 stipulated that there be a diverse slate of candidates for every position. Um, and more recently than that, we've, um, we've begun to post and advertise positions in uh, uh, many new venues um, in, in order to uh, achieve a diverse pool of candidates. And we've trained our our uh, leaders, our hiring managers, uh, to um, uh, to in in techniques, interview techniques that that um, uh, that help to expunge any kind of you know implicit or unconscious bias, and then um, the results have been have been pretty good. Um, uh, the 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 gold standards or the 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 um, the yardstick by which we measure ourselves is the uh, Mellon Foundation survey uh, of diversity in art museums, of which you know, there have been two, one in 2015 and one in 2018. And I can say that in areas like, for example, our curatorial staff, diversity at the CMA has increased from a little less than 20% in 2015 to about 35% today. That versus a nat that uh, uh, compares to a national average, according to the Mellon survey, of 16% in 2018. Um, the diversity of our, our uh, conservation staff has increased from 20% in, in 2015 to 33% today versus a, a national average of, I think, 11%. Um, and the number of our educators who self-identify as Black or Indigenous or as people of color has risen uh, from 18% in 2015 to 44%, nearly half today, uh, versus a national average of 26%. So, you know, we've, in 2018, according to the Mellon survey, so we've made some real progress and we're very proud of it. That's not to say that there's not a lot more that we should do. There is. And, um, and we're in the process of you know, trying to accomplish that now. And that extends to the diversification of our field because we're an organization with the resources and the scale 
to help do that uh, by creating new programs to um, bring high school students, uh, undergraduates, graduate students into the museum field. And, and, um, uh, and, and we're doing all of that today as well. One of the exhibitions coming this year is focused on the Keithley Collection. The museum announced a donation of some hundred works from Clevelanders Joe and Nancy Keithley. This is one of the largest gifts the museum has received since the Hannah gift in 1958. Yeah. What What can we be excited to see? I talk about diversity. This collection covers a lot of ground. It covers a lot of ground with a few really key focuses. So, I mean, the the collection is just amazing. It's uh, and and really transformative. It's more than a hundred works. Um, there are five paintings by Pierre Bonnard. There are four paintings each by Maurice Denis and Edouard Vuillard. There are paintings by Brock and Picasso and and. Uh, uh, Pissarro and um, Milton Avery and Joe Mitchell and many others. It's a really extraordinary collection that even includes um, uh, Asian art, uh, including contemporary Japanese ceramics. Um, the, the, there, there will be an exhibition this fall, as you say, of, of works uh, from the Keithley Collection, which will, for the first time, give the public a sense of its entire range. Uh, because as we've installed parts of the collection, uh, over the past couple of years, um, they've you know they've they've found their home in in many galleries throughout the institution and in every you know in every um, wing of the museum uh, because it is such a diverse collection. This will be an opportunity to see everything together, and it's really a transformative gift. It 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 reinforces our stature in Cleveland as one of the principal repositories of especially 19th and early 20th century French art in this country. I know it's hard to determine what we're going to do next week. Has there been any thought at all given to what summer, whether the solstice event will happen or not, or is that way too early to tell? It's a little early to tell, but we've certainly been thinking about it. My my aspiration is to have both solstice and parade the circle this year. We we've, we've uh, uh, parade the circle, which is of course an even bigger event than solstice, which attracts uh, parade the event. The parade the circle uh, attracts about fifty thousand even more uh, people to University Circle every year. Um, that is a program that we had to cancel in 2020 and 2021. We, uh, we, we did something called Parade the City, which involved installations of art throughout the city. But I'm hoping that it'll come back. And the locus for all that work is going to be the new Community Art Center. And then the Parade the Circle should happen uh, right here in University, uh, university Circle. Um, solstice, I hope. I hope my fingers are crossed, um, as everyone's are. Uh, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. William Griswold, thanks for sharing some news about the Cleveland Museum of Art. Let's hope for a great 2022. Uh, lots of visitors and everybody staying safe. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. William Griswold is the director of the Cleveland Museum of Art. He joined us for the Landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.